0: Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness
1: at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today on Kidney Talk, I have to tell you, we have a overachiever on this podcast. We have Dr. Mark Waddell. And let me see if I can get this right. He trained at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He's quadruple boarded in internal medicine, critical care, chest medicine, and sleep disorder. He also has a law degree. I, I, I'm like, i like, I can't even believe how many years he spent in school. And so today, he's going to talk about kidney transplantation And he has a unique perspective because as a physician, he also needed a transplant. So this is going to be a very exciting interview, and I'm so pleased to have Dr. Waddell with us. Welcome to the show.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, Laurie, and it's a real pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with you.
1: So, you know, what we're going to talk today about is... You know, so you're thinking about a kidney transplant, and I know a lot of people out there, you know, some people know they want a transplant, some people are like, N- I never want a transplant, and some people are on the fence. And so you wrote a book about this, and tell us one, some of the things that you learned from a physician needing a kidney transplant.
0: Well, Laurie, as you know, a kidney transplant is clearly a life-transforming event for each and every one of us. and Once it has happened and is behind us, I think none of us can resist the urge to pay back, to be so appreciative of the blessings we received that we want to do activities very much like what you've devoted your life to, and I, too, had that same urge. It became an overwhelming desire to say, now that I've been blessed with such an extraordinary opportunity, how do I pay back? And so what, having realized that there is a lot of areas where one might fit, um, I had to look uh, high and low for the particular opportunity that fit my skill set. And what I finally came to is the identification of what I thought was an unmet need, and that is specific and accurate and concise information for people to have as a primer up front. And the the context for that is that, ironically enough, I was a critical care physician who had, as my daily activity, the opportunity to care for kidney transplant patients. My wife is a critical care nurse who has, as her daily routine, the opportunity to care for kidney transplant patients. And yet when it became our turn, we were absolutely clueless as to where to start, where to get the very best education, and where to see the whole picture as opposed to the isolated portion of a few days in the transplant patient's life that we had both seen. So recognizing that as the unmet need, we figured, gosh, if an ICU physician and an ICU nurse who deal with these patients all the time are confused, just imagine what happens to the average person when somebody tells them that they may need kidney transplantation.
1: So this is really like the movie The Doctor, <laughs> the doctor who's diagnosed with the illness and doesn't know what to do. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what was the cause of your kidney failure? Did you, have, did you know this was going to happen or was it sudden? Um,
0: no, ma'am. It was uh, very much anticipated. Uh, I am a childhood diabetic. I've been on insulin for almost 60 years. Uh, I have been told since I was a youngster that if I was able to survive the other complications of juvenile diabetes, that I would be lucky if I could get far enough down the road to ever um, need and receive a kidney transplant. And uh, I did indeed have that uh, promise fulfilled. I was lucky to avoid other major complications, and as you know, about the only predictive data that is half valid in determining about what time somebody will come to a need for transplantation is in the juvenile diabetic population. So I was prepared, the family was prepared, my nephrologist uh, was able to follow those predictive equations, and we saw it coming. And then one day it
1: did. Well, you know, there's an interesting debate going on in the country, too, about, you know, home dialysis, transplantation. And, you know, everybody knows, you know, theoretically when they're OK, what option they would choose. But when you're in the moment and you got to figure out what option you're going to choose, it's a much different scenario, um, you know, it you knew you were going to get a transplant at some point, but when you were presented with the fact like, okay, the day has come, what emotions did that, did your emotions draw into, you know, the situation of like, wow, it's real. What do I do? Now I got to actually implement a plan. And that's the difference than having a theoretical issue as opposed to like, i got to deal with this right now and make a decision.
0: Laura, you are absolutely right. And my initial reaction, even though I had literally decades to prepare and intellectually was prepared, I thought, the moment it became real, I retreated. Mm -hmm. And my initial attitude became, they're not going to do that to me. And if I let them do that to me, it'll take away everything that I enjoy in life and that's not going to happen. So I literally retreated. I closed my ears to outside ideas and counsel temporarily uh, and was on the pathway to making some very foolish decisions, simply out of denial, I would suggest, uh, until I got a good sense of education and a good perspective presented to me by the transplant team at Mayo Clinic before I was ultimately transplanted. Well,
1: and you bring up a point that, you know, what's wrong with just getting information on the Internet? Because a lot of people are like, I'm just going to turn to the Internet and get my information. Can you give us a little bit of uh, feedback on that statement?
0: Uh, yes, ma'am. I, I think there are two problems with the Internet. Obviously, all of us these days have the habit of Googling whatever question is on our mind. But the two problems with something like this on the Internet Uh, the significance of which impacts your life are, number one, there's no arbitrator of truth on the Internet. You can find literally any statement or anything you want to believe posted there by somebody. The second thing and the more realistic problem is that if you simply Google kidney transplantation, the standard response is approximately 400,000 hits in 0.15 seconds. And nobody, although that's an admirable thing for a computer to do, but what is the human being on the receiving end going to do with 400,000 hits that now need to be chased down? So the internet really becomes a non-source when information is urgently needed and it needs to be accurate. And there's a similar disadvantage to the transplant centers. Uh, One might think that if you have questions, you call your local transplant center. But the problem is the transplant centers are so busy and so fully occupied and dedicated to the patients already in their care that they simply don't have the resource when you pick up the phone and call them to sit down and have a nice leisurely and educational session with you They're simply too busy with the patients already entrusted to them.
1: Well, you know, that's a good point because we find that, too, we have the hope line, the, you know, 800 number you can call and talk to other patients who've, you know, been through transplantation. And you're exactly right. Like, it's so much information. About three years ago, I was diagnosed with an acoustic neuroma. I guess I'm one of those lucky people. And, you know, when I was diagnosed with it, I had to go to the ear, nose, throat doctor. But I Googled that. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was going to die and my life was over. And, you know, three years later, you know, I still have it. And it probably will never be a problem for me other than it did impact some of my hearing. But it was (laughs) doom and gloom. So the Internet can make you depressed, (laughs)
0: And, and I think the Internet is depressing because it's overwhelming. So even the information aside, the fact that you just said, I know nothing, I need to learn something, and then there in front of you are 400,000 hits, you simply throw your hands in the air and say, this is not possible, I can't ever learn what I need to know in order to march forward. So two things happen. Number one, you don't end up with a framework of what are the issues and the questions you need to be thinking about. And number two, you can't get accurate information that's usable to hang on to that framework as you begin this journey towards transplantation.
1: Well, I know my physician, he doesn't like his patients to go look up medications and look up the side effects. And for a while, I kind of thought, you know, well, I want to know what they are. And then I realized that, you know, once you know what they are, you probably might manifest them. And so it's not always good to know unless you have you're experiencing something. Then you go and check the medicine to see if you have it. But if you look at every single side effect of every medication you have, you'll go crazy. (laughs) You'll stop everything. I know. You'll be so paranoid to put that pill in your mouth that you'll, like, oh my goodness, this is going to kill me. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about from the moment you, you know, learned you needed to transplant. What was your process to getting the transplant? Well, my, um,
0: I think what happened to me initially was what happens to most people. And that is there is basically an assumption in the healthcare system that you're in that you will simply proceed on in that particular system. And that decision is made either by defaults. You figure, well, it never occurred to me that there might be a different center better tailored to my particular needs, or alternatively, it's decided by your insurance company. Right. And the, the issue with that is I think we know enough now that transplant While the transplant centers across the country and the more than 260 of them that exist are all extraordinarily fine and accomplished institutions, not every institution is perfect for every individual. And part of the interval in people's journey that I wanted to target was prior to them making a selection of the particular transplant center in which they were going to be treated, the reason for that is twofold. Number one, uh, I wanted to be sure that people knew what questions they should be thinking about and what questions they should be asking their particular transplant center before they signed up there. Um, and the the second part of all that is, I recognize that once you get information from a transplant center, their perspective is very much uni-center. They're telling you how it's done there, and they're not looking at a national picture. They're looking at a very local one. So there are issues there, and the, the third thing that I wanted to be sure happened was I don't want to be interfering with the care that a patient gets once they are now inside the transplant system. And on the journey. So there's no need for competitive ideas. What there is a need for is understanding and a structure, intellectually, if you will, that people say, here are all the issues that I need to be thinking about. And these are issues that I'm going to have questions about. And here's what the questions will look like. And this is the discussion that I need to have with the transplant center that I'm looking at because these things will ultimately impact me. To use a simple example, um, waiting list for a cadaver kidney, as you know, is very, very different from hospital to hospital. It varies being longer in the large metropolitan areas. Los Angeles, for example, has an average waiting list time of almost twice what San Diego has to its south, um, We know that rural hospitals are different than urban hospitals. We know that from state to state there are differences. But we never hear about those things until we're well into the system. And now we're inside a system where we say, gosh, maybe I don't have an alternative. Maybe I'm just stuck with what I want to do here. Now, at the same time, if you already have a living donor who has volunteered to give you their kidney and you know that a deceased kidney is not in your future, then waiting list is irrelevant to you. Now what you're going to want to look at is what's the experience in that site with living donation kidneys? What are the one year, the five year success rates? How many do they do every year, etc.? So all of these things are questions that need to come up ahead of time, and what the book does is walk methodically through the logic process of things people need to consider, not in a persuasive way, but simply in a way that says, here are the questions you're going to have to address. Here are the issues that are involved with them. Here's where you find additional information, and now be prepared to manage that information and ask the right questions. I think the, the most uh, inspiring data of all is, as you know, in the last six months, two large studies have been completed that prove to us what we already thought we knew, and that is transplant IQ correlates with patient outcome. That means the more people know ahead of time, the better their result is going to be. And in fact, that finding is even exaggerated. In the minority community, and given that a third of us on the waiting list are uh, uh, African-American and another third are Hispanic, it's key that this education get to these people as they're making their decisions and knowing what questions
1: to ask. Well, you know, I've had so much practice at transplantation, just having my fourth one a couple of years ago, that... You know, I did. I was back in the system again, and I knew my options so I could make a choice. And I was running out of dialysis access sites, and uh, I had some living donors come forward, which I was very lucky. This would be my first living donor transplant. My past three were deceased donors. And I had to make a very difficult decision. One was to, to go in the paired kidney exchange through, you know, the National Kidney Registry, which was, you know, a great organization, or to go through a desensitization protocol that would allow one of my donors to match. And I knew those two options, and, you know, both of them, you never want to make either one of them, but I chose, based on my access site issue, to go with the desensitization protocol because I, I felt I would get the transplant faster. And I had to weigh the pros and cons, and I meet so many people today that don't know that desensitization for people with high antibodies is an option, or they don't know that a family member, well, they said they didn't match, and they don't know that there's now, you know, organizations that do kidney swaps. I mean, this is huge innovation for the transplant community that wasn't around five, 10 years ago.
0: Uh, absolutely, Lori. And I, I think the, you are a perfect example, because you gained your education the hard way. But it then allowed you to put yourself into a circumstance where you were totally in control of what choices you were going to make and you were able to optimize your outcome by being fully prepared educationally and now knowing here are the pros, here are the cons. A a good example, just to uh, give another one that's close to home, is you mentioned the National Kidney Registry. And you know that the National Kidney Registry at any time has approximately 300 donors that are available for the appropriate matching. And yet, not every institution in the U.S. is a member of or uses the National Kidney Registry. So if you don't know that, that there is such an arrangement, and you go to a transplant center, you may just find out that you're an extraordinarily difficult match, but unfortunately your center isn't involved with the largest of the registries. Right. And that simply means your odds of being successfully matched have gone down simply by virtue of an inadvertent choice that you made.
1: No, it's, you find out the hard way, like, what? You don't do that? You know, I mean, and then I hear patients, they're like, what? You don't offer desensitization at your center? and Or if they do, they're like, oh, yeah, we can do the protocol. And I always, you know, urge patients, if you go to a facility to have desensitization protocol at a transplant center, make sure they actually have a program around it. And they have people who are, you know, it's, it's a program. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to administer this medication to you and see if it works. Because the probability of it working isn't going to be as high as somebody who actually has a program wrapped around that protocol.
0: You're, you're absolutely right. And, and there even in the issue of using a national registry, for example, there are all kinds of registries. And there are big and those with a very successful track records. And there are also very small, obviously well-intentioned, but very small registries. And almost everybody is a member of something. But the patient coming in generally doesn't even know there is such a thing, doesn't know how to evaluate the particular registry available in that center, doesn't know what that registry's success rate is, and can't find out really until it's too late and they're into a center. Similarly... Most patients who are awaiting a cadaver kidney don't even know that they're allowed to be registered at two different places in different organ procurement zones in order to take advantage of a center that might have a shorter waiting time. And these are all critical decisions that people need to be aware of ahead of time. Um, All my book does is try to make sure people know this is the list of issues that will come in the chronological order that you're going to have to think about. And you better start thinking about them now because once you've entered into the system at a particular center, you're going to be so busy on that pre-transplant track that you're not going to have time to make alternative choices. So get educated now. Think about the issues and then start asking your questions and make your personal decisions.
1: So before we wrap up, um, Dr. Waddell, tell us a little bit about your transplant and how it's going and what's your creatinine.
0: Well, I was, uh, I was very fortunate. The, the, um, my transplant has gone beautifully. Um, I, I was just going to tell you a quick story about the transition from physician to patient, and this was one of the more fun things uh, and, and probably more significant things uh, personally for me. But as you know, physicians operate, particularly physicians in the intensive care unit with critically ill people all around them, they operate in a command and control environment. And basically, they're used to making every decision, carrying the responsibility for that decision, but the decision in their mind is theirs and theirs alone uh, in that environment. One of the interesting comments that was made to me by a member of the transplant surgical staff when I first said, this is where I'm going to be transplanted, and let's get on with it. The first question they asked me was, do you want to be treated like a physician, or do you want to get good care? <laughs> and that was that was a very revealing moment for me, because for the first time in my life, I realized I was no longer in the command and control situation.
1: I've heard that doctors and nurses are the worst patients.
0: <laughs> I'll vouch for that again from both sides of the scalpel. I can tell you that, my, as a physician and my physician colleagues, are terrible patients, and um, and and they need to understand that once they're the patient, um, I just had to learn to say yes, sir, to everything, and every thing i was told to do i had to perceive this is an order not a suggestion and uh, that that was the transition but i made that transition and uh, my outcome has been spectacular my uh, creatinine clearance is normal Uh, my creatinines are normal i just finished my three-year checkup um, and got uh, the best possible rating as they expressed to me imagine what you thought was the happiest ending at three years and you've surpassed it. So I've been very, very fortunate and uh, and like to use that success now to pay back to people who are following me on that same journey.
1: And you received a living donor transplant. How is your living donor doing?
0: Uh, Excellent. Uh, Basically, unfazed, has done well, um, uh, has terrific um, sense of satisfaction, if you will, about a job well done and a legacy of his own uh, despite the fact that he still has many, many decades to live. He is very comfortable that he's already established his legacy in life, regardless of uh, whatever else he accomplishes.
1: Well, tell us how um, people can get your book.
0: Um, the, the book is, uh, is, uh, is available in all of the online stores. Basically, Amazon.com has been carrying it for approximately a month now. Uh, it's also available with uh, iTunes and Noble, and it's available both in paperback uh, and also in the ebook book version. Um, at the present time, I don't yet have a, a Spanish-language version, but that actually is on the drawing board for a next iteration, if you will, recognizing the um, significant number of Hispanics that have renal failure and are on the waiting list. So it's uh, available online and um, primarily online since all of us are a niche population and it isn't the kind of thing that we would normally put on a bookstore shelf.
1: It's not going to be in the front you know, front display at Barnes & Noble, that's for sure, right?
0: That's <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it won't be next to Shades of Grey, I can tell you that.
1: Well, the the title of the book is So You're Thinking About Kidney Transplantation by Dr. Mark K. Waddell, W-E-D-E-L. You can look that up on Amazon and get a copy. And before we wrap up, um, I was just looking at one little point here in as a hobby, you like to farm avocados. And coincidentally, that's like my favorite food. (laughs) High in potassium, and I eat them as much as I can when I have a working transplant.
0: And it was the biggest temptation pre-transplant when I knew that uh, potassium was my enemy. But there they were hanging on the tree all around me. Um, so, So we share that love. And one of the comments I made in the book is, One of the greatest joys of successful transplantation is going back to consuming salt and pizza and orange juice and avocados. Uh, It's really a blessing to be able to return to a good, normal American diet.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Waddell. This was so informative. And, you know, thank you for sharing your perspective from physician to patient To avocado farmer, I mean this is this is wonderful, and I know that you do some other work in the community. You're working on some cardiovascular drug development, and it's too much for this particular show. But you know, keep inspiring and helping others, and you're a true treasure to the community.
0: Well, Laurie, thank you very much for this opportunity, and let me just extend my uh, very best wishes to all of the people who are on this journey currently. Uh, I want to send them my encouragement because I want to guarantee everybody that there are better days ahead and it's well worth it to just stick with the journey and arrive at a happy ending. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own healthcare provider regarding your medical condition.